Good morning, folks. It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Janet and James Ramcharan reporting live for duty on this magnificent September 19th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Welcome and bienvenue to Janet and Ramcharan, the podcast. Wagwan. What's going on, fam? Family. It's a family affair. It's a family affair. If you're new to the show, Janet and Ramcharan, the podcast. This is a show where I bitch, whine, squawk, cabelliac, and kibitz about myself in order to relate to y'all self. Y'all the dear listener. Y'all the dear viewer. Shared experiences, kindred souls, BFFs forever. We're going to share masks. <coughs> hey, can I borrow your mask, bud? Thanks. <coughs> When is it ever going to end? <laughs> ah, fuck that. Yo, fuck that virus. Fuck them motherfucking viruses, yo. King Kong ain't got shit on me. Y'all viruses be playing basketball in Pelican Bay when I'm done with you. Jailhouse, nigga. You going to do this to me? Age, Jake. Jake. You want to be a sheep or do you want to be a wolf? Hell, dog. Oh! You remind me of myself when I was your age, Jake. You were just like me when I was your age, Jake. Jake. Damn, Jake, I didn't know you liked to get wet. PCP, angel dust. I didn't know you smoked angel dust. I didn't know you had coronavirus, Jake. Damn, Jake. I didn't know you liked to get wet. COVID-19, coronavirus. You know? You got to be a sheep. You're going to be a wolf. <coughs> oh! Oh, hell, I don't know. So, and if you are new to the show, um, I am an actor extraordinaire. 19 years of service. Diploma in theater arts. That's been to the bone, ladies and gentlemen, and damn proud of it. It's hot. Uh, It's hot. Yeah, it's a hot one. Um, You know how it is uh, in these times of pandemic. You know, we break it down. Essential, non-essential. Well, if you ever wondered what it was like to be a artist, an artist, um, you tend to fall in the non-essential category. And um, that's a bunch of hogwash, a bunch of hoopla. I mean, human beings, humankind, we are a social animal. You know, we have stories, traditions, culture. That's what makes life interesting. So um, as an actor, that is our main uh, job. The main job of an actor is to facilitate story, storytelling, like There are many facets to enjoying a film, right? You're watching a film, you're watching a movie, a play, a vodcast. You know, you're watching a performer. You might like the special effects, like, wow, the horror, the horror, the horror makeup, you know? The horror makeup, the special effects, the CGI, you know, like... um, Transformers comes to mind for some reason, even though I never seen the fucking movie. But like, you know, 
the robots transforming. You know? If that's what they do. And, you know, that CGI computer-generated image. Is that what it is? Artificial intelligence. That production value really makes the film pop. Or it could be like, I don't know, um, music. You know, a lot of people are um, into the scores of a movie. Like, notably coming to mind, Trent Reznor. Trent Reznor of like Nine Inch Nails. He's like kind of made a career for himself. A second career almost. Uh, Not that I know much about his career generally, but... Another side of his career is um, film scores, you know, the social network. Um, He did a few others, a few other notable ones, you know, widely successful. Trent Reznor of uh, Nine Inch Nails. He's like scoring films. And then there's like, you know, Danny Elfman, you know, he did The Simpsons for crying out loud. You know, The Simpsons uh, song thong so generally speaking there's a lot of things to like in a film Uh, but story story is the main selling point you know you watch a film most people are taken in by the story so that is very essential that will always be essential and um, you know The cell, the cell is different, right? I mean, if you're dying of thirst in the Sahari Desert, I don't even know if that's even a desert. The Sahari Desert? Or am I thinking of the Sahara? Oh, hell, I don't know. That's another thing about being an actor, you know? You don't got time to read and try to be smart and shit. You're just trying to be a, a vessel to tell story. You know what I mean? You don't got time to be looking in microscopes and reading encyclopedias all damn day. You know what I mean? So, anyways, you're out there in the Sahiri Desert or Mara Desert or whatever. And, you know, you're dying of thirst. Well, the essential thing would to be drink water. Doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, somewhere down the line, like once you get a sip of water in the desert, you know. <laughs> Oh, great, I'm, I'm rehydrated. You know, that was essential. Maybe after you, you know, gain a little bit of hydration, you might think like, you know, it would be nice to have, you know, some Starburst candies. Like, you know, Starburst candies? Those are pretty good, Starburst, right? You got like orange, strawberry, lemon, uh, lime. Sometimes banana, they have like different flavored ones too, sour, starburst. So like maybe after you get your essential sip of water, maybe somewhere down the line you might want a starburst candy or something. So that's like kind of what actors are like. You know, it's like we might not be essential in the moment, but down the line, um, we're very needed because it's about entertainment and it's about story and it's about that, you know, human dialogue. You know, and, uh, you know, it ain't nothing to worry about or sweat. I mean, I don't know. I mean, what's the point? You know, what's the point of worrying? 
Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor extraordinaire. Have a quick sip of coffee, folks. Quick sip of coffee. <sighs> yeah. I am also an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. Three plus years of continuous consecutive sobriety. Um, <clears throat> I come from a 12-step background. Uh, and if you're out there and you're suffering during this pandemic... This is a great opportunity to maybe gain some health, um, a different, you know, perspective, trajectory in your life. You know, try what I did. Give it a shot, maybe. What I did was I joined a 12-step program. That's nothing official. There's no dues or no fees, no emphasis on religion. You know, it's about recovery. And there's a 12-step model, various steps of recovery. The first step being Number one, we admitted we are powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. That's a major admission and it's a major realization. And that can set you up for further development in recovery. So yeah, number one, we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. So once you do that, it sets you up for the other 12 steps. And these are meetings that you can attend all over the world by your own timetable. Right now, due to pandemic, people are attending meetings virtually, online, you know, Zoom, Z-O-O-M, Zoom. There's a lot of online meetings through that platform. But anyways, these are meetings that we attend. And um, you get a share on the issues pertaining to your alcoholism and you get to listen you get to hear from others and you get to gain insight you get to gain community you get to come out of your uh world of uh self-centeredness anti-social behavior that's very common amongst alcoholism alcoholics and day by day your days add up and then one day you find yourself in a new life right and uh, it's a blessing. It truly is. You know, um, I never had that. I never had that uh, struggle. It was like a gift that was given to me. It truly was. Because when I became, when I, when I was at the end of my rope, when I was like rock bottom. Um, yeah, I was like drinking every day. I was starting to have anxiety attacks. Like. Every morning after a, a fucking nightly binge, I'd wake up and after a couple hours, I'd, I'd get kind of jittery and I'd have like these, I would just be I'd, be, I'd be in my thoughts too much. I'd be thinking too much and I'd be breathing. I'd go into like a panic attack or like a anxiety attack or something every morning after a hangover, after a binge, right? And I was having these panic attacks uh to the point in which I actually ended up in a hospital once, you know, like uh, I called, you know, I had to call a fucking ambulance and go to the hospital because I was like wigging out and I was like having a panic episode and a paranoid episode. I was like, oh, right? And uh, which makes total sense. I mean, if you are fucking drowning yourself in alcohol, the body can only take so much before it starts, you know, malfunctioning, Right? So that's what was kind of going on with me. 
towards the end of my drinking, um, broke ass. I wasn't doing anything in terms of my acting career. Uh, I wasn't doing anything in terms of any real career. I, I was working like day labor and um, I would squander my daily paycheck on booze, cigarettes, marijuana, scrounge together whatever change I could to pay the rent and then just, you know, be in that degenerate state mentally, physically, spiritually. And um, so when I came into recovery, uh, it was a blessing. I like, it took me a while. It truly did. It took me a while to get that honesty, the first step, admitting that I was powerless over alcohol and that my life had become unmanageable. It took me a while to gain that honesty. It took me like, Like from the time I realized I had a drinking problem to the time I got sober and all the attempts in between, it probably took me, probably took me six years because I realized I was having drinking problems around the age of, I always knew I was a problem drinker, but I started to really realize, wow, I'm having, like, this is really fucking my life up. Like, what am I doing? I started to realize I had drinking problems around the age of 24 And it took me to the age of 30 to get sober. And, uh, but that that doesn't have to be for you. That doesn't have to be for anybody. I mean, if you have the openness in your mind and the honesty to recognize if you have a problem, to admit that you're powerless over alcohol and that your life has become unmanageable, you don't have to prolong the inevitable. And that's what I'm trying to say. It's a joy. Um, When I finally made that admission, when I admitted that and I I sought recovery, it was a joy. I was reinvesting in myself for the first time in a long time, positively, in a positive way. My health was coming back to me. My body was coming back to me. um, My finances were coming back to me. My career was coming back to me. And... The need to be in a drunken, blacked-out stupor, disconnected from myself and disconnected from my higher calling, my higher beliefs. Um, Again, 12-step recovery is uh, non-denominational. No one's interested in your personal beliefs. I personally believe in God. I personally do. So I was able to reconnect with God you know, and I was able to just um, come out of that uh, really dark, ugly time in my life and move forward to the new day. And it was a blessing. It's joyful. And you don't have to struggle. You don't have to fight against it. If you can truly admit that, then you can take that gift and run with it, you know, Um, My personal observation has been when I attended meetings, people who were unwilling to have that honesty and people who were unwilling to take that accountability, God bless them for that. They were there. They were at the meeting. They were trying for recovery, but they weren't being 100% honest. So they struggled with it. They wanted their cake and to eat it too. Like when I quit drinking and I admitted that, I was like, I am done. Like I have accepted that, 
hey, you know, in a perfect world, I could be the person who can have a few drinks, enjoy my buzz, and not cause harm to myself, not make a fool of myself, not bother other people with my nonsense and my obnoxiousness. In a perfect world, I could be a normal drinker. But I accepted that, oh, I am not a normal drinker. I can't do it. I accept it. So then when I was in recovery, I didn't yearn for the, oh, what, oh it's so hard. Oh, it's so hard to be sober and wake up without a hangover. And, oh, it's so hard to have money in my pocket and not be passed out on a curb somewhere. Oh, my God. Like it's, I was like, I'm just done with all this horse shit. I can't drink anymore. I can't do it. I'm done. And it's a blessing. So um, that's a possibility. And I saw it in a lot of other people too. Pardon me, folks. Dropped my hanky. (laughs) You know, um, I saw it in other people too. There was a lot of people who grabbed onto that gift and ran with it. You know, you're running for your life. And, uh, you know... During this time of quarantine, pandemic, um, we're coming around the corner. Uh, It's not far removed that we will be fully back in action. I believe that. Uh, It's around the corner. And, you know, things are definitely getting better. And my, uh, my hope for anybody listening, if they need this information is to change with the times you know come out the other end of this pandemic season with um some new health and some new goals and happiness and recovery and um whether it be 12-step recovery or whatever method you find you know a sober lifestyle is truly a blessing hallelujah so there you have it, folks. Janet Ramcharan, alcoholic. <laughs> Quick sip of coffee. I am also a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Um, 11 plus years of service. Yeah. Starting to miss it. Starting to miss doing stand-up. Um... The last couple years, the last few years, um, I just mentioned I'm an alcoholic. So the last three plus years or so, I've been really grinding it, getting out there on stage, trying to produce my own shows, uh, my own stand-up comedy shows, producing my own shows, getting on stage, doing the podcast, vodcast, and it's been a challenge. And uh, a challenge that I want, a challenge that is for me to take up. So, you know, I ain't complaining. Nobody asked me to do it. But it has been challenging. So when this whole pandemic, coronavirus, COVID-19 thing hit, mm, I was like, uh, I don't know. It was like, okay, whatever. We're taking a little break. I was like, whatever. Because... Not only has this pandemic changed a lot of things, it has also 
spurred a lot of realization. So there is a lot of things that are yet for me to, um, and if this is relatable across industry, if this is relatable to anybody in any different industry, or maybe even the same industry, if this is relatable, there's a lot of things in my career that I still have to flush out, realize, you know, I got like experiences up the wazoo, I got experiences up the yin yang, talent, um, all that, but I do have a lot to learn. And that's what this pandemic has opened my eyes to. So that's what I mean. When it struck and everything was on hold, I'm like, okay, well, this is a nice little pause to reassess and find a more efficient way forward. Because I felt like my career as a comic wasn't running very efficiently. Wasn't running very efficiently. So I'm like, I need a new way forward. So this is a nice little break to reassess. But now it's been going on a little too long, you know? I'm like chomping at the bit for it, you know? And, you know, I don't know. I'm just taking it day by day. And um, as corny and as cornball as that sounds, take it day by day. You know, whatever you do, whatever industry you're in, take it day by day and all will be revealed in time. And um, I'm just taking that advice to heart. I'm doing what I can. I'm doing what's in front of me. And um, all will be revealed in due time. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, stand-up comedian extraordinaire. <laughs> yeah, it kind of sums up my world for the moment, you know? Yeah. One thing... Uh, that I want to speak about today is the working world, you know? Uh, There's, well, you know, this pandemic is bringing out a lot of things. And uh, you guys can't hear this right now, I don't think so, the microphone doesn't always pick up everything, but I got this neighbor who's out of their fucking mind. They're always banging and clanging like this lowly little... Like this little tapping, clanging, banging sound. And it, it's been going on for years now. There's just every now and then you hear this like tapping... the point where I even heard other neighbors in the building like I remember one time I heard this guy like he storms out of his apartment he goes and he bangs on the neighbor's door and she opens the door he's like why are you constantly banging what the fuck are you doing in there you're always banging on shit shut the fuck up he freaks out on her right and she's just like I have to bang I have to bang I don't fucking know. I don't know. And I personally, on a little side tangent here, I don't personally believe in mental illness 100%. I think something happens to a person where they get swept up in their own thoughts, in their own self-centeredness, and there's like some sort of negativity and spiritual thing going on that overtakes them. 
and they become like a megalomaniac, you know, a person consumed with their own sense of control and solipsism, I believe is the word, where it's like everything exists in my own mind. Everything I do is about me. There is no outer reality. It's just me. So if I want to bang all fucking day long on the wall or on the ground, who cares if I bother other people? Because it's all about me. (laughs) So if you saw me like pause momentarily ago there, and I was just like, I made like a weird face. It's because... I can hear the neighbor banging on the wall like a mental patient. And uh, (laughs) that idea of, you know, control and self-centeredness and just stupidity, whatever the fuck it is, you know, I'm, you know, you know, obviously there are forms of mental illness, but I mean, I think a vast amount of it is just pure narcissism, overinflated megalomania, self-centeredness twisted up in like a negative outlook and a horrible attitude that's what a lot of mental illness is but um that kind of transitions into my point i want to talk about um the workplace post-pandemic you know there's been like this whole um shift in outlook Essential, non-essential, right? So if you're new to the show, um, as a performer, as an artist, um, I bust it out, I grind it out, I hump it out daily. And to keep that in motion, I got a side hustle. I'm always, you know, working, you know, paying the bills to keep... uh, my performing goals alive. So in the last year I was working at, in the, in the last year or so, I was working custodial as a janitor, you know, dust, buck, dust buckets, mop buckets, slot buckets, you know, um, parking lots, toilets, urinals, the whole kit and caboodle, you name it, I clean it. I was doing that like for the past year and a bit, year and change. Now, um, it came to the point when I was like, eh, I quit that job. Um, you know, that's the beauty of when you're not tied to a career and you're, whole, and you're not invested in, oh my God, I can't lose this job. What if this job leaves me? Oh, fuck it. Hoop it up your fucking ass. You bumble clot, you blood clot. Fuck it. Two tears in a bucket, motherfuck it. Um, I went along with that job as long as I could. Um, I took it for the utility and, you know, it served the purpose. I enjoyed it for the time. Came to a point when I was like, mm, done, quit. Now I've transitioned on to a new job as a uh, package handler. A package handler, a very essential job in this post, in this pandemic world that we live in currently. September 19th, 2020. We're still in this pandemic mode. So I'm working in, in, in uh, I guess you would call it shipping logistics and uh it's a very essential job help getting products from here to there you know connecting the world and it keeps me on my hustle my overall goal 
as a performer. And moving into this post-pandemic era, it's going to be very interesting. Because I'm starting to see, or what I always speak on, in terms of a working life, and something that is, there's something in me that I have to express at some point in my career, whether it be in a production or I, I, there's like a statement that I want to make or an idea that I want to showcase. It's been brewing in me for a long time. I don't quite know what it is yet, but it's in, in, it's in, regard, it's in regards to it's in regards to the working realities of life, the daily hustle, the economy, the working person, the capitalist, the inventor. It's about the, I mean, it's almost like the, I mean, it's almost like the driving force of humanity, right? We're like hunters, hunters and gatherers. You know what I mean? We, we're, that's what human beings do. That's what every being does. They seek to sustain themselves. And how you sustain yourself says a lot about you. And that's why it's such an interesting topic. How do people sustain themselves? And what does that mean? And what is the... What are the trickling effects, you know? Some people believe in capitalist model, you know? Every person is free to seek their own ventures in an open market, create their own business, create their own opportunities. And should they do that at a high level, that can open up other opportunities, you know? A business comes into an area, that means that there is, you know, jobs, for the people in the area. And that means that there's a trade, an economy that's flowing and nourishing in that area, you know? That's like, I guess, in a sense, like a trickle-down theory, you know? What's good for the capitalist expands or trickles down, trickles down to um, the people. I agree with that in a sense, you know? Not everyone has the want or the know-how to create a successful business. Some people are more suited to, you know, uh, they have the, the personality type or the, the drive that I'm more of an employee. You know, give me a fair deal, I'll take it and I'll fulfill that duty. Some people don't have the need or the desire or the know-how to, you know, create a business. It's a pretty adventurous undertaking to create a business. So, you know, I'm not against capitalism. I'm not against the idea of a trickle-down theory. Yeah, somebody puts together a business that can employ other people. Like, for example, right now, I am working as a package handler in a logistics company that facilitates trade globally. They are paying my bills. They are keeping food on the table. They're keeping JR the P, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast on the internet. You know, like, follow, share, and subscribe. But like, they're keeping my 
lights on. So it's like, yeah. Yeah, I, I believe that, yeah, it's cool that somebody put together a company that's so successful that they can afford to hire me at a competitive wage. Yeah, I'm not against capitalism. Some people believe more in like socialism, where it's like, oh, it should be state-owned property and means of production. Money should be evenly distributed. You know, that's so beautiful in theory. But the problem is it goes counter to the human nature. Human beings, unfortunately, myself included, and what I, what I work to balance, we're of a cynical nature, motivated by self-interest. Are we not? Are we not beings that are generally motivated by self-interest? And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Self-interest makes the economy thrive. Um, there's an economist, um, Walter Williams. I believe Walter E. Williams, uh, a real celebrity in the economy world. And he was talking about like, well, it's almost like Gordon Gre It's almost like Gordon Gecko from Wall Street. Greed is good, you know. Walter E. Williams. He was talking about how like the economist Walter E. Williams. He was talking about um. You know, all right. So, you got these farmers, right? Oh, yeah, 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 like, like this. You got these farmers somewhere in the Midwest. They raise cattle and potatoes that they can ship and sell to New York, New York City. So how do, it, how do New Yorkers get steak and potatoes on their plate every winter? Is it because of altruism? Is it because of love of the fellow man? No. It's because these farmers have the self-interest to work hard, raise cattle, raise potatoes. If you've ever tried to raise a baby potato, you know, you ever try to raise a baby potato, they're always cussing and fighting and squawking, you know, running around with their little gang member potatoes. You know, they're very corrupt. You have to keep a fucking watchful eye on a baby potato, you know. So these farmers are raising baby potatoes, they're raising cattle. And they work hard to do that so they can make money. They can sustain themselves. And in doing that, in their efforts to sustain themselves, they produce a product that people need, want, and therefore sustains them. You know? It's like one hand washes the other. <coughs> Coronavirus, COVID-19. One hand washes the other, you know? And that's like Gordon Gecko of uh, the famed movie, Wall Street, Michael Douglas, you know? Greed is good. And uh, Walter E. Williams, that was his idea or his way of putting it, you know? How do, how do people, you know, how do city people get steak and potatoes on their plate every winter? Is it because of altruism? Is it because of the love of the fellow man? 
or is it because self-interest serves the general public? You know? So, you know, that's my thought on basic economics. You know? It's like, yeah, capitalism, why should somebody be banned or barred from making money to create a company that sustains others and keeps the lifeblood going in a society, in an economy, and versus like socialism, state-run, um, heavily government interference industries or economy where it's like, well, it's nice in theory, the idea of, oh, we love one another, share this, that, and the other, but unfortunately, it runs counter I don't know how that shows up as counter or correct clockwise, but it runs counter to um, human nature. We're motivated by self-interest. And it's only a matter of time before, you know, in a, somebody starts, well, how come so-and-so gets the better means of production than I do? How come his job is better than my job? I thought this was all supposed to be equally run and there's no accountability and no um, factor taken for like, you know, skill level, education, drive, due diligence, dependability, competency. All those things just go out the window. No, everything's equal. And it's counter to human intuition, human values it runs counter it's like a utopia altruism i'm not against that but it's just not reality <laughs> unfortunately you know it's it's so hard for each other to it's so hard for us to really consider one another you know it's it's like the work the world is in a deep uh, it, the world is deeply lacking in the golden rule. Do unto others as you will have done unto yourself. That is so lacking in this world, it makes your mind blow. You know, it'll flip your wig. Think how inconsiderate people are generally of others. They're all just so, we're, we're all so consumed in our own self-interest, our self-needs, our needs, our wants, what's good for me. I started to realize, you know, I speak on a lot of issues about, uh, you know, workplace dynamics, how to step yourself up in your career. That's a lot of things that I speak on on this podcast. I speak on that topic a lot, you know. Career and the challenges of a career. I start to realize in myself, you know, as much as I criticize and condemn and judge the overall lack of consideration, the, the, desi the desire and need of control in the general person, as much as I abhor the idea of, you know, people not doing unto others as they'll have done unto themselves, as much as I, you know, rail against that, I started to realize, you know what? 
there's also an aspect of myself that is motivated by control. You know, it's like I judge other people for being self-centered, cynical, for, you know, not looking out for their fellow person. And just the backward way in which people generally are. But in that, that's like me being a hypocrite. Because it's like, well, why do I have such an interest in controlling others? Like, just because people, generally speaking, people don't see things that way. Like, if, you, if you've ever worked a day in your life, and I'm sure this is translatable across industry. If you walk into the workplace, people are usually anxious. And that actually is a byproduct of, you know, capitalism, in my opinion. As much as I believe in that model, part of the backlash of like a capitalist model, you know, go out and get yours. Part of that backlash is like anxiety. People are anxious, self-obsessed, self You know, I have to get this done and I need this and I need that. And it's all about me. So whenever I go to work, I'm anxious and I'm going to put that on my coworker because I have to get it. I don't care. Whatever. Get it done. It's just like, where's the fire? None of this means anything. Why don't we have a little bit more consideration for each other? Stay in our own lane. Stay in your fucking lane. You know, people are always trying to micromanage each other, one up each other, prove their fucking worth, you know? And while I sit in judgment of that, it's like, well, how hypocritical. Because here I am judging other people for their outlook. Why am I trying to control them? I mean, I don't know. I could be wrong. And also, who am I to... Why, why would I... Why would my vision of a proper working environment be the final say the kibosh you know like what who am i to propose or purport the answer you know i don't have any managerial well i don't have any legitimate managerial experience i don't have any real that's not true, but it's like there are other people more suited to manage a workplace than me, obviously. So I'm just going off of like my experiences, what I've observed. And in that, it's really just my opinion. So who am I to be hypocritical or hypercritical of others where it's like, like, for example, I'm right, but I'm wrong in the judgment. You understand that? I'm right in what I think, but I'm wrong in my judgment. Because like what I think is like basic common sense, which most people lack. Do unto others as you'll have done unto yourself. You know, Take a breather. There's no need to be anxious. People are always rushing around, micromanaging each other. For example, in this new role that I'm in, this new job, we're, we're moving packages all day. We're package handlers. 
were sorting packages for delivery. Now, part of the job is being able to lift 70 pounds. You have to be able to lift 70 pounds. But generally speaking, most packages are around four to five pounds. But then again, you come up, you come up against larger items. And in the training, they say, you know, you got to be able to move that 70 pounds, which is like, you know, being able to shift an item onto a truck off of a truck. But in terms of lifting it, like in the air for placement, if you can't lift it, work safely with others, you know, get somebody to give you a hand, you know, safety first. Well, here we are on the package line, you know, the sorting area, and I'm looking around, and there's all these grown men, <gasps> like, heaving these fucking, like, 100-pound fucking awkwardly shaped bookshelves, exercise equipment. They're heaving these packages over their head onto these overhead compartments, and it's like they have all their coworkers standing next to each other, and I'm just looking at this, I'm like... Look at the anxiety in which you work. Look at the stupidity. You got a coworker standing right next to you. You're both doing the same job all day. Why not turn to each other and be like, hey, why not? Like, I could lift 100 pounds over my head. But the problem is that a lot of these objects are, well, number one, we're not supposed to. We're supposed to ask for help if you can't lift it comfortably by yourself. So number one, you're not supposed to do that. It's unsafe. It's against company policy. They say it in the training video. If you can't lift something safely, ask for help. Yet you see all these idiots struggling to lift these packages. Blowing their back out. You know, straining their fucking neck. You know, they might hurt themselves. They might damage the product. All this stupidity when it's like they got a co-worker standing right next to them. And you're both doing the same job all day. If something comes up that's extra heavy, why not work together? I mean, you're both going to have to need each other at some point. He's going to have an object that's oversized, needs help lifting it. You're going to have a fucking object that's oversized. You, you need help lifting it. Why not work together? But it's so like backwards they're so like anxious and obsessed with i don't know i don't know what but (laughs) and then you got people like micromanaging and condescending and trying to control one another check this out my first day on the job (laughs) Well, it was really my second day on the job. There was like a training session. Unfortunately, I was half an hour late. And I kind of knew I was going to be late. Because one thing I rail against, what I'll scream against till my dying day, is control. That's another problem with a capitalist model. Even though I agree with it, it's like, I think the best method we have, I, I, I think there's room for, uh, I think the term is responsible capitalism, something like that, or 
accountability in capitalism where it's like for one person to gain doesn't mean everybody has to suffer. I mean, there could be a fair way of doing it. You know, there should be perks and there should be there should be some substantial perks for the person who goes out and creates business for themselves and others. But there should be a more f- accountable way in which that can be shown, right? But anyways, it's, I believe in capitalism, but, you know, one of the evil byproducts of it is control. Everybody's always trying to control. That's what companies do. When you don't work for yourself, basically put, if you don't work for yourself, if you don't have a trade that speaks to your worth, if you don't have your own business, if you're not doing it for yourself, you are open to being controlled. And that's exactly what people and business tries to do, tries to control micromanage and it's really a sick evil ugly byproduct of capitalism but i mean i don't know the the only other answer is to step up and you know fulfill your duties fulfill your duties like a man or a woman you know like the person you are fulfill your duties and then work towards your own goals that's the answer but that's what i'm always battling control the first day of, um, well, it's really, it was really the second day training session at this new job that I have. I was half an hour late. And I kind of knew I was. Because they gave us the call time Thursday afternoon. Thursday afternoon, they said, okay, your next training session is going to be Tuesday morning at 4.30 a.m. Make sure to be there on time. Okay. So, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It was really like five days away. Every day for five days, I was getting text messages. Make sure to be there on time, 4.30. I was getting emails. Make sure to be there at time, Jonathan, employee number, whatever, whatever. Your training session is Tuesday morning at 4.30. Make sure to be there on time. Phone calls, emails. They were just bombarding me with a common sense thing. I'm a fucking adult. I'm an employee. You're telling me that my shift, my training session is going to be 4.30 Tuesday. 4.30 a.m. Tuesday morning. You only got to tell me once. I'm not a fucking idiot. I'm not a child. I'm not your fucking boyfriend. I'm not your girlfriend. You know, I'm not your fucking pet dog. All right? I'm not your child. You told me once. Once is enough. Why are you calling me? Emailing me? Controlling me. In the span of five days, they must have contacted me like, over five times in regards to my start time. That is unprofessional. That is controlling, micromanaging. It's like when I'm away from work, I'm away from work. All right? This is an hourly job. We're paid by the hour. This is not some highbrow position that is dependent upon this and that and da 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 It requires 
commitment and basic accountability. That's it. So if you're going to bombard me with all this control, I'm going to resent it. I just am. All right? And then again, see, is that me being a hypocrite? Is that me trying to exert my control? They're trying to control me as their employer. Well, I'm trying to control the situation as my own sovereign person. I'm fighting their control with my own control. So in the back of my head, I knew that I resented this. I'm like, they're fucking calling me, emailing me the same fucking information. I spoke to them face to face. They told me face to face, like the the training session person, Tuesday, 4.30 a.m., make sure to be on time. Okay, no problem. Then the emails, the text messages, the phone calls. Seriously, emails, text messages, phone calls. To the point when in the back of my head, I was resenting it. You know, you know how when somebody always like nags you to do something, you tend not to want to do it? So Tuesday morning comes around, 4.30, I'm up, I'm up early, I'm on route early, everything should have um, allotted for me to be on time, but something in the back of my mind, my personal sovereignty, my personal manhood was like, you know what, fuck these idiots, fuck them, because I was taking a new route, and... I could have asked the uh, bus driver for like better directions. I could have plotted my trip with better directions, but I was like, I'll just guess. I'm on a little bit of an adventure this morning. I don't. I, I, I kind of in the back of my head was playing a game. In the back of my head, I was kind of resentful. I'm like, well, I can make sure that I'm there on time. Or I can roll the dice and have a little gamble. I'm going on a journey. I don't know. You ever just catch a bus for no fucking reason? It's kind of fun. You hop on a streetcar. You get on a bus. You just, I don't know. Let's see where it takes me. I never took this bus before. It was kind of like that. It's like, I've never been on this bus before. I don't really know where it goes. I think it goes where I need to go, but eh, whatever. But you're supposed to be there at 4.30. Whatever. We'll see. I get on the bus. It takes me way the fuck in the opposite direction of where I need to go. So I'm like, whoops. (laughs) So I wind up being half an hour late for work. And to be honest with you, I didn't, I did that subconsciously. Because I I had to think about this because I was like, why did I end up being late? I was like overly prepared and I should have been like at least half an hour early. But something in the back of my head kind of made me resentful and it, it made me drag my feet. So I walk in the door half an hour late. And this is like the second day of training. The company owes me nothing. And conversely, I owe the company nothing. They can fire me at an instant. They can let go of me if they want to. I'm on probation. You know, the company owes me nothing. I understand that. But by the same token, I owe them nothing. Yeah, I was late. Like, I'll apologize out of civility, but I don't mean it. I don't owe them anything. It's not like... You know, it's like, this is the probationary period. This is like, I don't really know the full scope of my duties and I'm not committed to them. They're not committed to me. It's a two-way street. They owe me nothing. I owe them nothing. Yeah, I was late. Sorry. That's my answer, right? Anyways, I walk in, right? And the lady running the, uh, the training session, she goes, what happened to you? Right? 
And I look at her and I go, oh, uh, I'm a lost package. She goes, huh, you're a lost package, are you, huh? She goes, okay, class, everyone, uh, this is Jonathan. Jonathan's going to wear the dunce cap this uh, morning. Sit down here, Jonathan. Jonathan's going to wear the dunce cap. She calls me a dunce in front of the class. I have never even worked a full shift. This is my second day of training. I was like 20 minutes late. And not only that, I actually really hustled to try to be on time because, like I said, it was early. I was kind of scatterbrained. I wasn't, you know, I kind of, I kind of was being kind of stupid in my own way. But here's the thing. I'm not closed to proper criticism. Like, if they want to properly criticize me and go, like, the proper way of doing it would have been like, you know, oh, are you Jonathan? Yeah, we're so, yeah, we were wondering what happened to you this morning. That would have given me the opportunity to be like, you know what, you're actually right, 100%. I'm sorry I was late. That'll never happen again. She didn't give me that opportunity. She just goes for the jugular. What happened to you? As if I owe them anything. As if my life hinges on this job. You could turn it sideways, shove it up your fucking cunt. I don't give a fine fuck. Right? I'm just like, yeah, I'm a lost package. Oh, well, Jonathan's going to wear the dunce cap today. And I go, well, that's okay because Jonathan can handle it. <laughs> she goes, oh, <laughs> tries to like play it off as if she's just joking. It's like, you called me a dunce in front of the class. You're lambasting me over something as stupid as being 20 minutes late on my second day. I mean, any, any common sense would be like, this is a situation where you give the person... Like, you at least wait until I'm hired on and I've been working. And um, you've given me one, like, there's usually a warning followed by follow-up, right? Like, I'm, the excuse isn't that I'm late. The excuse is that I owe them nothing, they owe me nothing. So there's no need to make it personal and yell at me. You know, once you're employed with a company and they're depending on you to be at your job station every day at a certain time, that's when you have some accountability with a company. Not when you're in the preliminary phases where they could pull the plug at any moment. What if all of a sudden, oh, COVID-19, lockdown, lockdown, oh, everybody's laid off. They don't have any real commitment to me as an employee and I don't have any commitment to them. So it's like, don't fucking yell at me for being 20 minutes late when you could, fuck you. I don't give a shit. I don't owe you anything, right? (laughs) And is that me trying to be controlling? Is that me trying to control the situation to my own way of thinking? But it's like, it's that micromanagement. It's that control. I mean, they beat it over my head 20 times with text messages, emails, phone calls, to the point which I resent it. If you're going to talk to me like an idiot, if you're going to lord over me, if you're going to try to control me, I'm going to rebel. Tell me once. Tell me once. And if I fail, then you can correct me. But if you're going to micromanage or lord over me, I'm not going to pay attention to your horseshit. I'm going to treat it as nothing. Because it's like, oh, this, this is a really like overly 
eager, overly zealous, obsessed. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to live in fear. You know, it's like they were trying to get me to live in fear. Make sure to be there at 4.30 on time, Tuesday afternoon, morning. Make sure to be there at 4.30 in the morning. Make sure, make sure, phone call, text message, email. Make sure to be there at 4.30 Tuesday morning. Or what? Or what? Or what? Like, I'll take the job, but I'm not going to fucking beg for it. I'm not going to sell my soul for it. Tell me once. Tell me once. And if I fuck up, then I pay the consequences. Tell me once. <laughs> and that's the risk you run when you, when you don't work for yourself. When you don't work for yourself, you are open to being controlled, micromanaged. We're going to talk to you this way because we can talk to you this way. Listen, stupid. I know that you could tell a smart person once to show up on time, but a stupid person like you needs to be told 20 times via text message, email, phone call. <sighs> she called me a dunce in front of the class. Jonathan's going to wear the dunce cap today. Well, that's okay because Jonathan can take it. <laughs> oh, hardy, har, har, har. Oh, I get it. It's a joke, right? I'm a dunce. Get it? Like, it's a, I'm just kidding. It's a joke. You know, like, I've never met you before. And this is our first interaction meeting each other. But it's just a little joke. You know, like, you're a dunce. Haha, <laughs> get it? Like, you're a dunce. You're stupid for being late. <laughs> get it? It's just a little joke. You're a dunce. You're going to wear the dunce cap. It's just, a, it's just a little joke in the workplace. I should have called human resources. I could have had that bitch on her, out there on her ass, you know? You know, like, uh... <laughs> She sexually harassed me. She called me a dunce. She has a dunce fetish. <laughs> and I don't know, man. It really makes you think about your own personal value and what you want going forward. And, you know, I don't resent it. And I don't, I don't, uh, you know, a part of performing is, you know, letting loose better than Mother Goose, rock the mic day and night. That's part of like performing. You get worked up and you're this and you're that and you be animated and, you know, you live a, a heightened version of yourself, you know, when you perform, whether it be stand up, acting, podcast, it's a heightened version of myself but when i'm in everyday life i'm very cool and calculated i don't let these things out i don't live these things i don't hold on to them i don't resent them i don't fly off the handle get mad and scream and da, da, da. It's just i see it for what it is it's i have to work hard for my own personal sovereignty to have the career that i want otherwise i am open to being Otherwise, I'm working for somebody else, and then I am opened to being controlled. It's what it is. If you don't work for yourself, you're working for somebody else, which can be a good thing. But a lot of times, uh, you know, it's their way or the highway. That's the employer's attitude. It's their way or the highway. Well, that's fine because I'm trying to take the highway. 
I just got to scrounge. I got to scrounge up enough fucking clams to get on the highway, and then it'll be my way. I did it my way, and here's the best part. I was about to sing that fucking, if you're among the very most young at heart. <laughs> but I'm trying to say that I did it my way. <laughs> I'm not about doing it my way either. I'm just trying to about, I'm about doing it the path of least resistance. I'm about doing others, doing onto others as you'll have done unto yourself. Carefree, hassle-free, control-free. Free of like uh, a little fucking chatter that happens out there in the world. Living from within. So, hey. <clears throat> Anyways, that's a little uh, comes to mind during this time of um, pandemic. Essential, non-essential worker. We're starting to see that, you know, whatever you do. I think a lot of people, their eyes have been open to where they sit in the open market, where they sit in the economy and society, and what they're willing to do for their spot. Right? For example, with me, I have a pretty, if you see what I've said today or you've heard what I said, well, that's how I see it. I see it for myself as, okay, we live in a society that, you know, is pretty much capitalistic. It's good. It creates jobs, keeps, a, keeps the blood flowing within a society, within a community, within people, you know. If there's trade going on, People can get involved and, you know, it flows throughout society. It would be lovely if we could live in a utopia, altruistic society where everything's shared and it's all lovey-dovey socialism. Unfortunately, in my view, that runs counter, counter to basic human intuition. People are cynical, motivated by self-interest. That's what human beings are. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because self-interest serves the general public. You know, a farmer gets up, raises cattle, grows potatoes, not because he gives a fuck if other people eat, but because he can sell that product to sustain himself or herself. Henceforth, general interest serves, basic personal interest serves the general public. So within this scope of reference, essential, non-essential worker, for myself, I got to be open to working for others, put my own needs, wants, desires, put them aside, try to serve my employer, try to do my job, with my overall outlook being, I want to be self-sufficient, essential in my own right, do what I do. Stake my claim in a capital world, you know, show my value. And I'm working towards that. JR the P, Jonathan Ramchand, the podcast, you know, stand up comedy, actor, performer in general. I'm working towards that. 
And it's some tough times right now during pandemic, but I hope it's all relatable. It's all relatable across industry, what I speak on. So, yeah. Moving forward here, um, in regards to like COVID-19, you know, I'll just say this and I'll say it quick. The news cycles are getting tired. They're flatlining. Have you noticed? The news is all very kind of tired, beat out, beat around the bush. COVID, COVID, coronavirus. (coughs) I believe now. I've been saying this as conspiracy theory. I've been saying this as like an idea. I've been saying this as just a conversation piece. Now I'm saying it officially for myself, Jonathan Ramcharan. I personally believe that it's a hoax. COVID-19 is a hoax. It's, I believe that the virus exists. I believe everything they say. It affects like, you know, people in ill health, the elderly, overly obese. I, effect, I believe that it's a real virus, a real disease. But I believe that the numbers are overinflated. I believe that it spreads like any other virus. It's not as serious as they make it. The numbers are inflated. I don't know how it came about, but I do know that it's being politicized. And I do know that it's... Um, being weaponized as like a disruption in economy and for political power in order to gain control. That's what it is. It's a politicizing weapon to gain control. That's what it is. And like it or not, you know, China, USA, you know, United States of America, China, they're players in the world economy, the global economy, highly affected by those two countries. Something's going on there. And that's what this is about. It's a pol- it's a politicizing weapon to interfere somehow. And it's between that and somehow it's spread globally. It's not from <coughs> coughing and oh, oh, masks and all. It's it's overinflated. It's a hoax. And as soon as this election season's over in the United States, after uh, the presidential election of 2020 in the United States, my uh, prediction, COVID-19 will be done. They'll move on to the next crises. It's a hoax. Yeah. Anyways, here's um, a funny little article I'm going to leave you on before I get out of here. And again, I'm not saying... For myself, um, as much as I believe as it's a hoax, I believe it's a hoax. That's my, that's my guess on what it is. If you were to ask me, what is COVID-19? It's a hoax. The same shit happened with H1N1. I paid no attention to that. I went on as usual. I went to work. I seeked work. I did stand-up comedy. I didn't pay any fucking attention to it. Nothing happened. It went away. I didn't get an H1N1 vaccination. I paid literally no attention to it. Didn't think about it at all. Nothing happened. It's pretty much the same thing going on here with COVID-19. It's for morons. But um, to control you, 
to make you live in fear. You need the government. They're going to keep you safe, even though they don't follow their own procedures. They're fucking idiots. They got no answers. The fucking, any fucking politician has the same fucking information about COVID-19 as I have, or as you have, unless there's some like deep state document that we're not privy to. They don't know anything more than we do. They're just a dummy in a suit and tie and a fucking dress business suit, a business, a business woman's suit. Some fucking dummy in a businesswoman's suit and some fucking penis wrinkle with a fucking neck tie. These idiots don't know nothing. <laughs> anyway, here we go. This is a funny little article I'll leave you all on. Karen Halloween mask triggers a flurry of orders and complaints. <laughs> this is an article from uh, globalnews.ca by Josh K. Elliott. Pretty funny too the way he wrote it. It might be hard to make a Karen wear a mask, but you can wear her face as a mask this Halloween, thanks to a U.S.-based artist. <laughs> Jason Adcock, 34, says he's been overwhelmed with orders for a tongue-in-cheek mask design inspired by Karen, the now infamous 2020 nickname for entitled white women who complain about trivial or non-existent problems. <laughs> He's also been flooded with nasty comments and requests to speak to his manager after seemingly triggering an army of male and female Karens on the internet. Adcock says he designed the handmade masks based on a torrent of 2020 news stories about Karens rejecting coronavirus safety measures, threatening protesters, and calling police on people of color. I was starting on this year's Halloween project and kept seeing Karen's pop up in my news feed and thought, damn, this is a real monster of 2020, Adcock told Business Insider. Each mask is hand-painted, latex rubber, attached to a blonde bob wig, <laughs> the signature Karen haircut, according to various memes. The masks show a caricatured woman's face in mid-shout. <laughs> Nailed it. This fucking guy nailed it. Uh, it's hilarious. 2020 is the year of the Karen, Adcock wrote in an Instagram post about the mask. Scare all your friends, your big hair and narrow-minded. Oh, scare all your friends with your big hair and narrow mind. Adcock has also created a pustulating covered version of the mask, which he has dubbed Karen 19. <laughs> after those who reject coronavirus masks. He thought she was slick calling all sheep and look... <clears throat> she thought she was slick calling you all sheep and look what happened, he joked on Instagram. There's like a... Yeah, so there's another version of the mask where there's like COVID-19 pustules and sores. You know? Crazy. The Los Angeles-based artist says he has a dark sense of humor and plenty of experience with Karens, Karens, and thanks, thanks to his career in retail. And so on and so on. So yeah, this uh, I'll, I'll try to post a picture or something. This uh, Karen, Karen nineteen Halloween mask, you know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's very funny, but, you know, really the spirit of a Karen, in my opinion, is anybody who is overinflated in their ego, 
who feels a need to speak out on other people and can't just shut the fuck up and mind their own business. And you see the spirit of a Karen in pretty much anyone. You know, you see the spirit of a Karen in anyone. You know, I'm a, I'm a black, I'm a strong black woman. And no, 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 you ain't going to tell me this and blah, blah, blah. No, I'm going to be heard and I'm going to blah, blah, blah. Why don't you shut the fuck up? Mind your own business and do your own thing. Same thing with a fucking white woman, a white Karen, you know? Well, you know, I just was really offended and upset by bleep, 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 bleep. Shut the fuck up. You know? Some black man, you know, I'm going to tell you this, you know, for 400 years, and blah, 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 and I'm a black man, and I'm telling you right now, nigga. Shut the fuck up. Mind your own fucking business. Well, you know, as a white man, I am um, blah, 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 blah. And I know everything. Let me show you my depth of knowledge. Um, studies say, but shut the fuck up. A Karen is alive and well in any person with a crazy ego, overinflated sense of self. And, you know, they seek to control. And anytime you seek to, and anytime you seek to control, you know, it really shows just how out of control you really are. Karen, Karen19, <coughs> it's your old chuckle buddy, guess who, Janet and James Ramtram, reporting live for duty on this magnificent September 19th in the year of our Lord, 2020. Yeah, Karen19 Halloween masks, <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, do hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, queries, or qualms, I'm available on my website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. I'm on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes. If you're enjoying the show, please help my black ass out. Share me with a friend, all right? Till next time, you live it, you love it, you realize it. I hate peace. Thank <laughs> you.